welcome. My name's Jeff, if I haven't met you yet. Welcome. Good job commuting. Some of you commuted all the way from Florida today. I see you. We're happy to have you here. Uh, I want to take you back to the 1980s. Um, I was in elementary school, and I was in the midst of transitioning from the rubber flimsy suction cup mini hoop to the standard. They're standard now, but in my day, they weren't standard. We're It actually has a backboard and a rim and a net, and instead of a foam sponge ball, you get an actual rubber basketball. I mean, anybody hear me here? I'm in that season of life, and I want you to picture me, uh, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, so I actually was telling some people this, you have to picture me with straight blonde hair. Uh, My hair turned curly in high school out of nowhere. Uh, and people have asked me, what are you doing with your hair? And I, well, my son's up here. He, Jay's growing his hair out and it's curly. And I'm like, I think my hair is curly too, but it's been like 20 years since I grew it out. So I started growing it out. Uh, this is what I get. And Kami likes it. She actually just said that she's grateful for our hair. So <laughs> if the wife likes it, you guys are stuck with it for a while. Sorry, your opinion doesn't matter, but that's where we're at. But I need you to picture me, elementary school age, just flat, straight, blonde hair, because that's what I was like then. And I'm standing on the porch of my best friend Matt Bierlein's house, and I'm holding... Our parents, our moms, had both bought us this new, awesome mini hoop. And I'm holding it. I'm ready to give it to him, because I found out at school that day that his hoop was broken. And I just want to pause there, and I want you to think, don't say it out loud, but just to yourself. I mean, I don't want to feed my ego, but just, just think to yourself, what words would you use to describe young, straight-haired, blonde Jeff holding this basketball hoop that he's going to give to his friends? You might think kind, super sweet, and certainly generous, right? How generous could I be to do? Well, let me fill in a little bit more of the story before we get too firm on our words. What if I told you that I had been at Matt's house the day before and that I had dunked the basketball harder than normal and I'm the reason his hoop was broken? And I found out it was broken because Matt was avoiding me, ignoring me, and then finally yelled at me, you broke my hoop at school. And so I actually wasn't bringing my hoop over to his house as an act of generosity. It was an act of penitence to try to replace something that I had destroyed. I tell the story and I tell it that way because we are we're in our second week of looking at this idea of generosity. We're going to get a little bit more practical this week. But I don't want us to lose f- sight of the reality that motivation matters. Motivation matters a lot. And some of you maybe even have painful reactions to conversations around generosity because because whoever's voice was up in front of you trying to get you to be generous, all you heard was shame, fear, and guilt. And it just, it feels different when you give out of shame, fear, and guilt, right? Uh, One of the gifts of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians is watching the way Paul is going to challenge the church to give generously and financially, but not leverage pain or shame or fear or guilt. He's going to try to lean into the beauty of who God is (laughs) and his shared experience with the Corinthians. So that's that's what we're going to pay attention to this morning. But but I wanted to call that out. I, 
I got an email because I know some of you wrestle with this, and I don't want you to shut down. Or, I mean, you can, especially if you're new, you should be careful with hearing things. But, but for those of you, I don't want you to put your walls up just because we might talk about money. <laughs> That's what one of you sent me an email. Well, actually, one of our online friends who just medically can't be with us at church right now, so we're thrilled that you can join us online. But he sent me this email. It said, great sermon on Sunday. I hate to admit it, but I was reading the verses you were going to preach on ahead, and I expected a harangue on giving because that's what I remember from my former church. And it turns out your sermon was a little bit more, we have all we need. And oh, by the way, why don't you share a bit of it with others? (laughs) Thanks and shalom. (laughs) Which is a decent summary of what I said last week. I said a little more, but it's a decent summary. But my point is, I know some of you have had bad experiences. And I, I hope to not replicate that. But I also want to walk this line because really in 2 Corinthians last week, chapter 8, and this week, chapter 9, Paul is seriously spending two whole chapters on fundraising. That's what he's doing. Two whole chapters on calling the church to give. And so we're going to talk about it. If you were with us last week, you know this is what is often referred to as the collection. It's actually a really, really cool thing that doesn't always get talked about. But but there was a famine in Israel, not cool. But the church in Jerusalem was very much impoverished and they were going without. They had great need. They were poor. They were lacking. And so Paul gets this gospel-oriented idea. Oh, you know, the church has gone out. That's what, what Rick, Rick's going to cover some of the history of this in his Sunday school class. The church has gone out from Jerusalem, has gone out from Israel to, to into the Gentile world. And now I've planted these churches in the Gentile world. And so how cool would it be if these churches that, that you know, the beginning was Jerusalem and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. How cool would it be if these churches then send a representative, a Gentile, and carry a large amount of money given freely from these churches to meet these real needs of the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul gets really excited about this idea, and he's arranging this. It's called the collection. And so that's what we're talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's what he's dealing with. So let's read through it. Again, I want you to, to and, I'll, and I'll try to pause and kind of point it out, but I just want to read through the whole chapter, and I want you to see really the way Paul goes about inviting participation. Chapter 9, verse 1, I really, don't, I, I really don't need to write to you about this ministry of giving for the believers in Jerusalem, for I know how eager you are to help, and I have been boasting to the churches. I mean, I, 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 I know, I saw, I've been telling others in Macedonia that you in Greece, you're ready to send a, an offering. You were ready a year ago. In fact, it was your enthusiasm that stirred up many of the Macedonian believers to begin giving. I mean, we talked about that last week in chapter 8. Paul talks about how Christ-like these Macedonian churches were because they have little and they gave above and beyond. <laughs> but then he's like reminding them of the story. And again, he's going to make this ask. And, and again, as, and we'll get into this more even next week. He's got a little bit of a tense relationship with the church in Corinth. So he's being very wise and very gentle and very very careful, but very honest. Love is a calibration of grace and truth. And so he's calling them, he's challenging them, he's inviting them to think through and to do what they were excited to do on their own. He says, I'm sending these brothers, we talked about them last week, to be sure you really are ready, as I have been telling them, and that your money is all collected. In other words, Paul doesn't want to show up and have to go about collecting. I don't want to be wrong in my boasting about you. And then I think he's just being honest. Like We would be embarrassed and you would be embarrassed. If these Macedonian believers we talked about, their churches gave above and beyond 
out of their poverty to participate in this that they, you were excited about. So what if, they, what if they show up and the gift isn't ready like you promised? That would be really awkward for everyone, Paul says. So I'm sending the brothers. I'm trying to be a good leader, a good shepherd. I want to make sure this happens. And notice how he ends verse 5. But I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be manipulative. I want this to be a willing gift, not given grudgingly. That's not what I'm trying to do. You were, you were excited about this. So just remember that. Verse 6, remember this. He's going to give a real simple, real simple illustration. A farmer who plants only a few seeds, you know, they get a small crop. But that farmer who plants generously lots of seeds, you get a generous crop. In verse 7, this will be the verse that we end our time with. So again, even if you feel like your wall's going up because we're going to maybe be challenged to be generous people, we're going to end with this verse so you can feel good. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And no one's going to tell you what to do. That's what Paul says. You each decide in your own heart. But he says, but make sure you don't give reluctantly. We'll talk about that a little bit. Don't be a reluctant giver. But also, don't give in response to pressure. And we're not going to pressure you. It's between you and Jesus on your journey. But we're going to try to share some wisdom that I think Paul has in mind as he goes through this. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. It's a kind of a famous verse. God loves a cheerful giver. We'll talk a little about that. And God will generously provide, listen to this, all you need. We'll also come back to that in a little bit because I think it's important for us in the modern era that we live in to thoughtfully think about what do I really need? What's a necessity? And what are the voices of modern day Babylon and all their advertisements telling me I need that Jesus says, you don't need that. You don't need in fact, I didn't say this first service, so this is bonus for you. But I remember when Kami was pregnant <laughs> and we were going through filling out the registry for our baby shower. And Kami's grandma, who's since passed away, but she is this feisty, fun lady, Grandma Shirley. And I remember we were going through one of the stores and, you know, you got this gun and you're like blasting all the things that you're registering for. And it just seems so excessive. And I remember I, I just started playing this game where I was like, Grandma Shirley, did you have that when you were pregnant? Nope, we don't need it. Grandma surely didn't have it. We don't need it. And she thought that was so fun. And we were doing that all over the store while Kami kept doing the responsible thing and signing us up. <laughs> anyway, that's bonus for you. But think about what do you really need? And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And again, I'm going to remind you, if you weren't with us last week, this flows out of a narrative in the Bible. And if you don't understand the mindset in the biblical story, then this idea of being generous won't make sense. But again, we'll come back to that. Scriptures do say they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. God gives you everything you need. And in the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And again, we're going to talk about this. It's something that's, I mean, if you're a part of Cross you, this isn't new news to you, but so much of this discipleship journey is about who you're becoming. Are you becoming the kind of person who a great harvest of generosity is in you? Right? Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. You're made in the image of a generous God and you living into your fulfilled potential of being who God has called you to be means you Become a generous person because your God is a generous God. 
And Paul says, when we take these gifts, this collection to those who need them in Jerusalem, they're going to, listen to this, they're going to thank God. Two things will result from this ministry of giving, this collection, the needs of the believers in Jerusalem, they'll be met, and then they will joyfully express their thanks to God for you and what you've done. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. We're all in this together as one family, one Lord, one Father, one Son, one Spirit. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Now Paul says, we know this is the the grace of God working within you. That's how you're able to be generous. And then he says, thank God for this gift. Too wonderful for words. And I even, I was thinking about that last little phrase, this gift. I I want you to, have you ever had a time where other people have thanked God for you? I mean, maybe it was something that you knew was significant, but oftentimes it's like you did some, you just did a seed. You did something so small, expected nothing of it, and God magnified that gift. And someone writes you a tear-stained letter, what you did. That extra thought, that letter, that word, that gift, that when you listen to me, that word of wisdom changed my I mean, you'll be happy to know that as a pastor, sometimes I have these moments and I keep these cards and I keep the emails and there are, because you sacrifice some stuff when you go into vocational ministry, (laughs) but there are days that that, that, that God has used something so small that I've done, but he's used it somehow in someone else's life. And I think to myself, if I do nothing else, at least I was a part of that. It's all worth it. (laughs) Just for that one moment for somebody thanking God Because he used me in their life. That's Paul's inviting them into that, inviting you into that. You can be a listen, you you serve a God who wants to partner with you and use you. And if you are obedient to Jesus, other people will thank God for you. You can't put a price on that. You can't put a price on that. All right, well, I I, again I wanna I wanna revisit this mindset we talked about last week because again, I can't we can't rationally or logically think about being generous if we operate as Babylonians in modern-day Babylon. Because last week, as we talked about, we live in a world that gives us a narrative of scarcity. And we believe, we begin to believe that we live in a zero-based, closed system where there's not enough to go around. And if you allow that narrative to shape you and influence you so there's not enough, there's not enough, there's not enough, you, you may mustered up the faith to believe that God is generous, but you will constantly question his timing and his methods. (laughs) And then you will eventually, I mean, question God himself. And so what I want to do is I want to present you with a little illustration that'll sum up some of what we talked about last week. And then if you want to go deeper or listen to last week's message, but I want you to picture an hourglass and then I'm going to stretch your imagination a little bit. But I want to read this. Another pastor said this, and I found it helpful. We no longer live in a zero-based, closed-system universe. With the incarnation, the infinite has made contact with the finite. Uh, Some of you, maybe that's a new word. What's the incarnation? We're talking about Christmas. We're talking about 
the Son who lives in perfect harmony with the Father and the Spirit, leaving the heavenlies. It was our verse last week. Jesus was rich, but he became poor so that through his poverty on the cross, you and I might become rich. And so we're talking about God entering into human flesh, entering into humanity. That's the incarnation. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And with the incarnation, the infinite has made contact with the finite. So I want you to, you know, you have this, hour, this hourglass, two glass spheres, one above the other, connected at a single point. That single point is the incarnation in the illustration, through which grains of sand can pass from the upper sphere into the lower sphere. But what I want to do to stretch your imagination is I want you to imagine that upper sphere as not being rounded off, but just infinitely going on. So if we were to maybe do a second picture where we cut the top off and it just, it just keeps going on and on into the roof and into forever. You need to, and I want you to imagine that. So you have an infinite upper glass, a little point that connects it to the lower globe, right? The incarnation is the connecting point between God and humanity, between the infinite and the finite. And Jesus Christ is the single point within finite history through which the infinity of God is poured into creation. This is the mystery of incarnation and the beauty of the infinite. To connect with Christ is to connect with the infinite. To believe in Jesus as a lifestyle is to connect our lives to the abundance of God and the beauty of the infinite. This is why Jesus constantly tells us not to worry about scarcity, but to trust in God. We are not limited to a finite, zero-based, closed-system universe. We don't have to be dominated by the paradigm of scarcity that leads to the fear-based reactions of greed, competition, rivalry, and probably the root of every single war. Jesus wants us to follow him, to learn to trust God so that we can live light and free, always willing to give, always extending a generous hand. Jesus is the one who teaches us that we can afford to be generous. Faith-based generosity accesses the infinity of God. Faith-based generosity is when a little boy's offering leads to an abundant feast where no one goes hungry. He's referencing the famous story of Jesus taking a few loaves of bread and fish and feeding the 5,000. And again, even in that story, I think this is even some of the theology behind what Paul is even doing with this collection. What happens there? Jesus is the one who creates the miracle and multiplies everything. But what does he say to the disciples? You feed them. (laughs) No, you go and feed them. You have access to infinity. You lack nothing. Now, again, church, if, if you don't understand that, then this idea of generosity will forever be impossible for you. Because you're operating in a zero-based, closed-system universe, and there's not enough to go around. But because of God's entrance, heaven breaking into earth, we have nothing to fear. And every single need is what Paul says God will meet. So again, I needed to remind you of that, but if you want to go deeper, listen to last week's sermon. What I want to do now is not give you laws or tell you what to do. I was trying to think the best way to do this in the spirit of Paul. But what I thought I'd do is just I'm going to give you three things that I wrote down that have been helpful and impactful for me as I think about generosity. And specifically because this text is talking about financial generosity, things helpful for me for financial generosity. If they're not helpful for you, that's fine. Thanks for listening. But if they are helpful, then great. 
I'm just trying to pass some things on as I think it relates to what we've looked at in this text. The first thing, again, I I said this already, but don't forget, never forget that this is really all about who you're becoming. At Crossview, we say again and again, and I know you're hearing because I've already read through the feedback from our, thanks for participating in our lunch last week. The elders have done one look. We're going to do a second deeper look. The staff team is going to look. I've been listening. But as I was reading through, I, I think we're getting this. We believe this as a church. We talk about discipleship as being with Jesus to learn from Jesus how to live like Jesus. You're not going to live like Jesus unless you spend time from him, as, with, with him. As you spend time with him, you begin to learn from him another way, a new way of being human, so that we can then live into our truest identity, our true self, and we actually begin to live a life that looks like Jesus. It's Christ-like. That really is our goal here, is to become like Jesus. In fact, even in the feedback from last week, a handful of times I read people quote this, come as you are, but don't stay where you are. That's a big part of our posture here. Look, if you came in and you're bringing a whole bunch of wreckage with you, you got garbage and baggage and pain and all kinds of brokenness, we say, come, you're welcome here. We are a whole lot of imperfect people too, and you fit in with us but please don't stay there. Please don't sit in your wreckage and your garbage and think this is all I'll ever have because Jesus is inviting you into a life that is greater than you could even imagine. And, it's, and it goes on forever. I mean, it's awesome. Eternal life. But it starts today if you want to follow him and declare him as Lord. So come as you are, but don't stay where you are. We're on a journey of who we're becoming And so we actually need to grow into this. One of the pastors, as a pastor, I actually like to listen to pastors who are 20 years older than me because they've learned lessons that I still need to learn as a pastor. And I was listening to one of these pastors that I enjoy, and he was sharing a story about how how he's kind of tried to grow in, in generosity. And so he said early on in his Christian journey, he would get invited to fundraisers or support raising gatherings, and he would go and pray it up. It was a good thing. It was for the kingdom. He believed in this. And so he would go in and he, was, he knew ahead how much money he was going to give. But he knew himself and he knew that parting with money wasn't always easy for him. And he, and he wanted to break that. Again, using language from 2 Corinthians 9, he didn't want to be a reluctant giver. He wanted to be a cheerful giver. And so this was just his thing. This is what he did. But he said, every time I felt myself hesitate or question the amount I was giving, I immediately made myself give twice as much. <laughs> he said, you wouldn't believe how fast it broke that pattern, right? Like, <laughs> but he, he knows something there. He wants to be like Jesus. And here's what I, I want to say. So we talk about a mindset of understanding the biblical narrative because there is a reality that sometimes we need to renew our minds and change the way we think, and it will lead to a different kind of behavior and living. But if you really pay attention to how people grow and change and transform, that works sometimes, but other times we actually have to live our way into a new way of thinking. I mean, that's just fundamental to how it works. And so sometimes you do, that's why if you go through our discipleship pathway form, we will talk about the spiritual discipline. And we'll talk about the discipline of generosity or, or of secrecy, doing something for someone else, but, but no one knows but the Father. It's kind of one of these, like, only you and I know, Father. Only you know. You know, like, do, because we, we want to practice what Jesus did, and we want to do the things that he said. We want to obey. 
But sometimes you have to live your way into a new way of thinking. My point in saying that is sometimes this verse, God loves a cheerful giver, gets distorted. And what actually happens is it sounds more Babylonian than kingdom of God. And it ties right into the sentimentality of our age that says we're led by our emotions. We are not led by our emotions. We talk a lot about our emotions at Crossview because they're super important, often underestimated and misunderstood but they're part of who we are, being made in the image of God. And I like to say this. Many of you have said this. I'm not the only one who says this. But our, our, our emotions are an amazing window into our heart and our soul, but they're a horrible leader. So just because you don't feel cheerful and giving, if Jesus is inviting you into this and it's good for your soul, do it anyway. <laughs> and practice what it looks like to follow Jesus into this life of generosity because sometimes we have to practice and train. And what will happen, and, and I can say this with a high degree of confidence, if you hang with our church community and you take this following Jesus seriously, what will happen is you'll be invited to give sometime and you'll realize you have a past. We all have different stories, different contexts. You'll realize you have a past story and money was tied and so you're a reluctant giver and it's really hard for you. But I'm going to tell you, if you follow Jesus in like a year, maybe two, maybe three, I know it's not as fast as you want, but this is just the way it goes. So it's a long, narrow road. But you'll find yourself joyfully giving, excited to give. God presents you an opportunity with a neighbor. You are jumping at the chance to give, even if it hurts or is uncomfortable. And you'll be like, where did that come from? Oh, now it's the Spirit of God doing things you can't do for yourself. You don't always know when you made the change, but you realize a change happened, and now you're not who you used to be. <laughs> and that's part of what following Jesus is like. But, but sometimes we've got to be seri- serious enough to, to practice and take Jesus seriously. But remember, this is all about who you're becoming, and Jesus is our goal. He's our standard. We're not just making this up. This is what Jesus embodies. The second thing, and actually for me sometimes it's important to remind myself this as a pastor Um, but also as a Christian, but just as a pastor, even to do a sermon on finances. When I read two chapters from Paul on kind of calling the church to give, here's what I want to say. It's okay for you and I to be challenged financially. Sometimes what happens in modern day Babylon is we start to think no one gets to tell me what to do with my money, which I'm not telling you what to do. Please don't hear that. But what I want to tell you is it was never really yours. It was always God's and a gift from him. <laughs> and so I think sometimes our individualization and our privatization and our, I don't know, entitlement, I don't know, whatever, but there's all kinds of things that make us think no one gets to challenge me on what I do with my finances. And I just humbly submit that maybe that's not the healthiest place for you to be. Again, I'm not trying to leverage shame, fear, or guilt. I don't want to do that, but I'm okay with challenging you. And so I thought the best way to do that is just to share a little bit of my story. Uh, and, and here's what I want to say, too, because this is really true. Your past, like, here's what, when you came to Christ, where you were in your financial journey has a huge say in how much of this challenge is hard for you and how much of it isn't, or how hard the challenge is. So, for instance, uh, I came alive to Jesus in college. I was a part of a Christian movement, and I ended up on a summer project in Ocean City, New Jersey. 
And I remember sitting, so I worked, at a, I worked on the boardwalk. I made funnel cakes. Um, my undergrad was chemical engineering, so I like to say I was a funnel cake engineer. But I made funnel cakes, and I made lemonade shake-ups. And I, I think my boss was a little shady, and he, he'd just give me a stack of ones. Like, I'd just get this stack of bills. Like, I don't know if he was reporting everything to the government. So he'd just give me this stack of money. And I was meeting with a guy who was a friend of the project, and just, uh, just a... Just a he was, he was, actually, he was a, l- a lot older than me. Some of you will love this. His claim to fame was that he went on a date with Mary Tyler Moore. I may have told you this before, but I like to just show my generational diversity there. If you don't know who Mary Tyler Moore is, find a rerun of the Dick Van Dyke show, right? Like just, but, but that was his claim to fame. But I remember him sitting down, and, and we were walking through things, and I'm like, I'm, I'm getting this stack of money. What do I do with this cash? And this is what he said to me. It's not a law. I'm not saying this is what you have to do. But I will tell you that this resonated with my soul as wisdom for God in the moment. And I've never tarried from this course. (laughs) He said, Jeff, you give the first 10% before taxes to the kingdom. And then you pay your taxes because you got that wad of ones, pay taxes, and then do what you do with the rest of your money, right? I'm not going to get all that. But my point is, at the very beginning of my career, someone I trusted said, give 10%, and I just have always given at least that. And so it hasn't really been hard because that's always what I've done. And I'm not up here trying to like, and I don't think I'm abnormal. Like some of you give more than that. Like Crossview is a very generous church. I'm just saying that's, that's my story and that's my journey. I want to be clear, though, as I'm sharing that, I think there's some biblical wisdom to that, but there's no shame or guilt. Some of you are like, 10%, that's insane, because you came to Christ at 40. (laughs) You understand me at at 19, beginning to to tithe or give 10% is way different than someone at 40 who's well into their career and has never done it. I understand that. If you're at 1% and next year you feel called by Jesus to give more because his voice matters, and you're at one and a half percent next year, we celebrate that. Now, no one in the church is going to know unless you tell us. There's one lady in our church who knows what everyone gives and no one else knows. I don't know. No one. So there's no, again, there's no pressure. There's no, this is between you and Jesus and what is good for your soul and who you're becoming. And again, I'm just telling you what was helpful for me. And I want to go one step further with this though, because I was asking my wife, Kami, I said, Kami, what was it for you? Like, can you think through anything for you that was really practical and helpful on this journey of generosity? And my wife is humble, and she's like, I don't know that I'm that generous, but she is generous. She's just being but, but, but she said, you know, for me, I think the biggest thing was that it was modeled for me in the home. Like, I just grew up in a home that gave. And so I want to say to those of you who are young families, I recognize that this might be some of the most precarious times for you financially, but your kids are watching. (laughs) And what you hand them in terms of church attendance or giving matters, not in a way of guilt, shame, or none of that, but, but just in a way of wisdom that what you do really matters and the family culture you shape really matters. And maybe you say, well, I haven't established that. And is it too late? It's never too late in Jesus. Do you understand? It's never too late. If God is inviting you down a road, you just follow him. It's going to lead you to life. Okay, last thing here. Another way of saying this is that, um, and maybe this is helpful for you, but we've talked a lot about modern day Babylon. And I know we don't want to be 
Babylonians here at Crossview. We want to be an alternative community, a kingdom of Christ followers. So let me say it this way. This is another pastor said this. Ours is the age of consumption. We are a people shaped by the liturgies of advertising and taught to genuflect in the gilded temple of the mall. There's some rhetoric for you. The creed is you are what you buy. And the philosophy is I shop, therefore I am. And this is what we must resist. The enforced conformity to consumption as a lifestyle. Consumerism may be our greatest obstacle to Christ-likeness. Again, another reason why I think it's important that we, in safe places with people we trust, challenge and are challenged, even financially. Because as I read through the Gospels, it seems to me that Jesus is saying that economic self-interest may be the greatest hindrance to entering the kingdom. And if we are a church that is scared to talk about finances, we're in a whole lot of trouble. (laughs) If we're a growing church and we want to be a people who grow and become like Jesus, we've got to be honest with ourselves and with each other. So you don't have to go blast it on social media, but if there's someone, I believe there are men and women around you who have wisdom that you might need in this area. Some of us, some of us learn great just money management, stewardship patterns in the home, and some of us never did. (laughs) Um, And then back to, I mentioned this as we were reading through the text, but this idea of necessity. Another pastor said this, Americans of 40 years ago would be shocked to see what Christians today think of as necessities. We view things this way because we keep defining the basics the way our consumer culture wants us to, which is always being defined upward and fast and more and more and more. You can resist modern-day Babylon and be an alternative community by hearing your neighbors or those around you saying, oh, you need this. Have you seen this? Have you bought this? And you can say, I don't need that. It's not a necessity. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. That's cool. I don't need that. Resist the temptation to think. Actually, I say this to Jay all the time because Jay wants everything, right? He's 13. Jay, you don't need that. You don't need that. And it's not good for your soul. It's actually not good for your soul if we get you that. All right, well, I told you I want to end with verse 7, so we'll wrap this up. Let me read verse 7 one more time. Again, just to to full circle this. Paul says to the church, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now, I don't think he means like just close the door in your head and have a conversation with yourself. I really do think this is an invitation to sit with Jesus and listen to the voice of love and life as he tries to guide you down this road. And so I'm not trying to give you, again, I'm not trying to give you a new law. I'm certainly not telling you what to do with your money. I'm I'm, I'm not trying to give you a formula or a three-step plan to economic success. That's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is faithfully point you to Jesus because I actually think that's where you'll find the life that you're looking for. And so I recognize that we're all at different places. Again, Crossview hit, we are and have a history of being an incredibly generous church And I actually think some of you have already done your business with Jesus financially, and you know more than I do about being generous. 
So maybe that's not where, I don't want to presuppose what God is doing in your life, but I do want to hang on this idea of generosity since it's what we've been reflecting on. So I want you to think through a few things. One, if you're brand new to Crossview and you're brand new to the church, I want to, I'm going to invite you to, to begin a conversation with Jesus and see where that might lead in terms of your relationship with him. But if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to be thinking, is it, is it generosity with your finances? Is it generosity with, it, with your time, your talents, your skills, your abilities? Generosity with your stuff? Is it generosity with your forgiveness? Has it been hard to be generous for, with forgiveness lately? Your, generosity with your patience? I don't know what it is. That's, you, you and Jesus have a little conversation right now. But I just want to walk through. Why don't you, again, you don't, have to, I don't, you don't have to do this, but I'll invite you to close your eyes and just sit with Jesus. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pray. I want to say a few things. I want you to just sit with Jesus and hear this, and then we'll, we'll close in prayer and we'll sing, Great is thy faithfulness. But if you, if you want to encounter Jesus, then seek to meet him in this place of prayer. You're going to have to start talking to Jesus. If you want to meet Jesus, you have to talk to him. Start talking to him. You can reach the risen and ascended Jesus Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Right now, the risen Christ is accessible to everyone, everywhere, at every moment. That's the beauty of the ascension. And if you want to meet Jesus, begin to talk to him like he's a close and trusted friend. Don't wait until you're fully convinced of everything before you begin this project. You don't have to obliterate every shred of doubt, whether it's about the existence of God or the generosity of God. You don't have to obliterate every shred of doubt. Don't try to convince yourself of everything. Just begin the conversation. One of my favorite definitions of a Christian, a Christian is so much more than this, but at a very basic level, a Christian is somebody who wants to be one. So look, if you're here today and you don't want to believe in Jesus, I'm not sure how I can help you. And if you're here today and you don't want to be like Jesus, I'm not sure how I can help you. But if you want to believe, if you want to be like Jesus, just start a conversation. Just, I, Jesus, I don't know if you're out there, but I'm going to give this a shot. Tap into this faint desire. Jesus, I've been struggling with greed and scarcity and covetousness and fear, but there's something within me resonating that I want to be generous and I want to be free and I want to be a cheerful giver. I'm so reluctant. Or maybe even I want to hear this challenge as good news. I have just such a bad past of being challenged that I can't even hear the good news right Whatever that faint desire might be, just tell Jesus and, and just see what he does. We are a church that believes in the risen Christ. And any change that comes about is going to become, it's, it's going to come because you heard the voice of your good shepherd. And you followed him into green pastures and still waters. So Jesus, in this posture and in this, with, with just in this posture of prayer and this desire, this we want to be with you. We want to believe in you. We want to know you. We want to be like you. We want to. And, and even in the faintest desire within our heart, would you grab hold of that and grow it? Just fan that flame so that it grows and grows and grows. And we are cheerfully generous.
Because all these fears, were, yeah, there's finite, but, but we are tapped into the infinite. And we do, Jesus, even though it's hard, we trust your methods. <laughs> and we trust your timing. And even if you say things that are hard for us to hear, we believe and trust. We, we want to believe you that it leads to life. So meet us where we are and take us to places we never imagined we could go. And Jesus, as a church, we pray that you would do that with us together. We don't want to be shooting stars all by ourselves. We want to be a whole galaxy moving together into the infinite of your amazing love. In your name we pray. Amen.